At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. that you bring us here that we may worship you thankful that we are one body with you as our head Christ Jesus thankful that we have access to your word and I pray that your word would be illuminated by the Holy Spirit of the living God now that as we seek truth you would meet us in the place of expectation that is Elder Bill, let us, God, that if there's something in our hearts that needs to come out by repentance, that you would equip us to do so. But we pray right now, more than anything, that you would just meet with us. We don't need my words. We need your words, God. So I pray that as we've sung our song of worship to you, as we've participated and remembered and look ahead toward your return, Jesus, that you would meet with us right now. We trust you, we love you, we praise you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray all these things. Together we say amen and amen. Can we give uh, God just a shout of hallelujah and a hand clap of praise that we get to be here together as brothers and sisters on a Sunday morning? It's always so fun to me. Maybe we can just keep praising God for the worship team. Come on, we're praising God for the worship team, not praising the worship team, but praising God for the worship team. Thank you all for leading us. I really appreciate it. You can take your seats here on a Sunday morning. As uh, Bill said, my name's Ryan Russell. I serve as the pastor of short-term missions over at our Troy campus, Um, and I'm also on our teaching team, and I was here uh, last month when you celebrated communion, and me and my family had so much fun that we figured we'd come back this month to celebrate communion with you. Uh, We're starting a new sermon series today in the book of 1 Kings, examining the life of Elijah. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. We're going to cover the whole chapter today, and we're going to see remarkable stuff throughout Elijah's life over these next few weeks. But uh, as we begin to look into Elijah's life, and we begin to think about life, I think that because life is often unpredictable, sometimes it can feel difficult to trust God. Sometimes it can feel difficult to take him at his word, right? If he never changes, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and my life, which belongs to him, Why is it that sometimes life feels so hard and unstable, right? If God is firm and God is stable and never changing and our lives belong to him, why do we sometimes feel so difficult? 
And I think that this common reality that we're all kind of stuck in, you can just say amen if you're stuck in that reality of God is good, but my life feels bad sometimes, right? And because of our personal desire to control our circumstances, I think we can struggle at times to know and believe and trust that what God wants and what God says is truly the best thing for us. We fall into the trap of false security, of organizing the details of our life, because if I can just hold on to the details of my life, then maybe I can make my life go pretty much the way I want it to. Now, that's false security, right? We know it doesn't work that way, but so commonly, I think we tend to do it. Trusting God and taking Him at His word is not simply a human feat. It requires faith to do it. It takes believing truly that even in the face of difficulty, God knows best. That even in the face of trial and tragedy, God's word is true. And that he's able to work out everything according to his perfect plan, both for him and for us. And that's why we're in this sermon series on Elijah's life. Because this kind of faith is so clearly seen throughout the life of Elijah. Rather than trying to take control of his life and manipulate the details, he faithfully trusts God, takes him at his word, moment by moment, step by step, place by place. We see in Elijah's life that he's not looking too far ahead into the future, but he's faithfully responding in the moment, in the here and now, to each of God's prompts with unconditional obedience and complete dependence. So as we launch this sermon series on Elijah's life, uh, I love how in the New Testament, uh, James says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Have you ever wondered why that's there? Like, why does James feel the need to talk about Elijah and say we're the same? I think it's because when we look at characters in the scriptures, sometimes we think that they're like some sort of super saint, that they have this secret relationship with God, they have the, this deep access to spiritual provision that we could never have in our lives. I think that's why James said Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah, like you and like I, was made in the image of God. Elijah, like you and like I, faced tough circumstances. Elijah, like you and like I, faced spiritual concepts that are the same then as they are today. People worshiping a false god. People believing provision is coming from somewhere other than the one true God. But as we think about Elijah, I think it's hard for us to really conceptualize, yeah, I'm just like him. Or, yeah, I can, uh, I can have faith like that. I could maybe raise a widow's son from the dead. I could maybe say it won't rain and it doesn't for three years. I could maybe command fire from heaven. How many of you think like that on like a Tuesday afternoon? No no one's hand is up, right? I think that's why we're in this sermon series on Elijah, right? To see what a life of faith can truly look like. And with unconditional obedience and complete dependence, we can see that we have access perhaps even greater access through Christ and His Spirit to the same spiritual resources from the same God that Elijah did. So 1 Kings 17, as we're going to cover the whole chapter today, um, you may want to just cancel your lunch plans. I've got about 85 minutes of content that we're going to hopefully get down to about 30. Um, 
we see the, the stage is set like this. Stuff's going bad in Israel and Judah. Wicked king after wicked king leading God's people into idolatrous sin and rebellion, not leading them into faithful following of God. And we see Elijah comes on the scene and King Ahab is the king in Israel at the time. It says that Ahab ruled for 22 years and he has this shining endorsement of his character in 1 Kings 17. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So the most evil king in Israel's history is who's reigning right now. Elijah, this prophet, comes on the scene. So again, sort of seemingly out of nowhere. I think it's a uniquely dangerous time to faithfully follow God in this time. And in all this turmoil, in all this craziness, Elijah lives a life of faith. In all our turmoil, in our, all our craziness, we can live a life of faith. What I hope that we'll see from the scriptures today is what a life of faith looks like, that a life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking him at his word, trusting God and taking him at his word. So what does that look like? Thank you for asking. Let's turn to 1 Kings 17, and we're going to see in two movements today, unconditional obedience and complete dependence, what this life of faith can look like. Let's read verses 1 through 7 in 1 Kings 17. It says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall, neither, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, this is the first thing we hear about Elijah in the scriptures. There's no history. There's no telling uh, who he is or who his family was or what his childhood was like. We see a man named Elijah, which means my God is Jehovah, from a place called Tishbe, which means captivity, in a rocky region of Gilead, just shows up on the scene. We don't even know that he's a prophet yet. We know that he goes to this wicked king Ahab, unconditionally obeying God, delivering the word of the Lord, and says, I'm paraphrasing here, it's not going to rain until I say so. These are the first words out of Elijah's mouth in the scriptures, which might not sound like that big of a deal, like he's offering a weather forecast to a wicked king. Why is that important? It's important because it was a farming community, an agrarian community, and if someone shows up to the king and says, it's not going to rain until I say so because God said so, that king would start to think, well, a drought is tragic, that when there's droughts in farming communities, livestock dies, livelihood goes away, people die. So if this word is true, and Ahab hears this word, he would think, well, that's a, that's a catastrophic judgment that's being proclaimed on my people where I'm reigning. And what's more, King Ahab married a sweet woman, a Sidonian princess named Jezebel, um, some of you chuckled when I said a sweet woman, right? She's not a very sweet woman, is she, right? Married this woman from the, the region of Tyre and Sidon, uh, and her name's Jezebel. We'll get into her later in the sermon series. Uh, but what's most important about that today is Jezebel brought with her in this marriage her pagan gods, which was a god named Baal, 
and his female consort or wife named Asherah. And what's important about that is Baal was the mighty ancient pagan god of storms. So Elijah shows up and says to this king, it's not going to rain until I say so. He's saying, your God is impotent, and my God, Yahweh, is the one that truly controls everything. So Elijah shows up. It's the first thing we hear out of his mouth. He comes up to this wicked king. He proclaims judgment over him by the word of the Lord, and he unconditionally obeys. It sounds like a scary job description, but Elijah does it. And it shouldn't come as a surprise necessarily. About 500 years earlier in in the history of these people, uh, in Deuteronomy 11, God said, if you worship other gods, I will shut up the heaven, rain will stop, no crops will come, and you will perish in the land. So this is 500 years earlier. Now Elijah shows up, he says this, and he delivers this message that probably could have and should have gotten him killed, right? Elijah at this point is on the run after delivering this message to a wicked king and an even worse queen. Queen, he shows unconditional obedience. After delivering the weather forecast, it says the word of the Lord came to him. Go hide by this brook. Now, uh, the brook Kareth, uh, a brook in, in this culture, in this geography, is called a wadi. A wadi is something that is like a stream, but a wadi only fills up when it rains. There's no water in it until it rains. So Elijah might be thinking, all right, I'm going to go. He got up and he went, but I'm going to go to a place that only has water when it rains, and I just said it's not going to rain. Okay, but I'm I'm still going to go, right? So Elijah goes, he gets up, he goes to this hiding place, which is good. He's on the run. King Ahab wants him dead, probably. Queen Jezebel definitely wants him dead. He goes to hide by this place in the brook Kareth, and, and he doesn't have any other instruction other than God is going to send birds to deliver DoorDash in the morning and evening. So he's like, I'm going to go to this place. Yes, Lord, I'm going to go do it. And you're going to bring birds to feed me. Now, if I were Elijah, I'd be like, wait a second, (laughs) like, hold on, God. Like, you said it's not going to rain, and now you want me to go to some place where there's only water because it rains, but it's not going to rain, and birds are going to feed me. I I don't get it, God, but I love what it says. The word of the Lord came to him, and it says, so he went. The word of the Lord came to him, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. No discussion, no questioning, just unconditional obedience. And God did exactly what he said he would do. The word of the Lord came, Elijah obeyed, and God did exactly what he said he would do. So some time passes, Elijah's in hiding, he's being watered by this brook, he's being fed by these birds, and then we get to verse 8, where the word of the Lord comes to him again. Let's see what it says in verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. And dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you've said, but first 
Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Once again, verse 8, verse 2, same thing. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah with a command of obedience and then a promise of provision. A command of obedience followed by a promise of provision. But if Elijah's asking questions about this brook and these birds, I think now he's also going to be asking questions. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, which whose hometown is Sidon? Jezebel's hometown. So he's like, go there where they surely hate you. And there's going to be a widow who is a vulnerable character in society who probably doesn't have a lot of resources. It's not go there and the prince is going to entertain you in his palace. It's go there and find a widow and she's going to take care of you. And what do we see? Unconditional obedience again. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. He doesn't ask, how is this going to work? He doesn't ask if this is going to happen. The practical source for sustenance for Elijah seems bleak again. A widow, at that, a single mother who is deeply vulnerable, and we know by their interchange that she's deeply vulnerable, right? He finds her, and she's in the midst of doing what? Preparing she and her son's last meal, getting a couple sticks so she can light a fire and bake all the food that she has left in her house that they can eat it and then die. That's the vulnerability of this situation. That's the, the bleakness of this provision but hallelujah, God is a provider, and he can use this kind of command and any kind of resource he wants to sustain his people on the back end of unconditional obedience. It's amazing. Elijah gives a command, which is a little bit insensitive, I think, where she's like, you know, I'm going to go get this final meal for me and my son, and then we're going to go die, and he's like, okay, will you just give me some first? <laughs> like, it's like, Man, Elijah, that's a little rude, man. And he speaks laconically kind of throughout all of 1 Kings. He's got like these one-liners. He's not a man of many words. He'll come out a little bit later, get, breaks his shell a little bit later. But what happens? The word of the Lord went to Elijah. He unconditionally obeyed. The word of the Lord went from Elijah, and the widow unconditionally obeyed. And God provided miraculous provision. In every situation that we've seen in these first 16 verses of 1 Kings 17, the word of the Lord came there was an immediate response of unconditional obedience. There was an immediate then provision, blessed provision. Is that our response to the word of the Lord? When we hear the word of the Lord come to us, do we say, yes, absolutely? It doesn't make any earthly sense what you might be asking me to do, God, but because you said it, I'll do it. I think if we're honest... Maybe I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for the good people of Algonac. I mean, this doesn't happen at this church, maybe other churches around here, not this church, though. Uh, we put conditions on our obedience to God, right? I think one of the, the clearest relationships that we see this in is parents and children, right? Like when a parent says, clean your room, and the child says, I'll do it if you give me ice cream. It's like, well, no, that's not how this is going to go. In fact, you're going to clean your room because I said so. But I think parents and children, us and God... It's really the same thing. It's the same axiom we live on. Conditional obedience occurs when we don't believe we're going to get the provision we want. Conditional obedience occurs when we don't believe we're going to get the provision we want. 
where we say, yeah, I'll do your thing, God, but I got to make sure I get my stuff first, or I got to care for this stuff first. And we see it throughout the scriptures, right? People reasoning with Jesus about why they can't go, like, oh, I just got buried, I can't come with you, or I've got to bury my relative, I can't come with you, or I just bought this piece of land. This is always the funniest one to me. I bought a piece of land, but I've never seen it, so I need to go see it first before I can come with you. It's like, you bought land sight unseen in an agrarian culture? That's weird. It's just excuses. Unconditional obedience, what we see in Elijah and what we pray to see in our lives, depends with a direct correlation on what we believe about the one giving the commands. Most parents give commands to their children not because they're selfish or mean or rude. It's because they have their children's best interest in mind. God gives commands not because he's trying to see how far he can stretch us before we break or see how much weight he can put on us before he crushes us. It's for his glory and for our good. But when we don't believe the heart of the one giving commands, that's when we begin to put conditions on our obedience. We see it in Elijah's life, even though I think Elijah had some pretty good ground to stand on to be like, can I just ask three questions, God? Like, hold on, let me just figure out if this is really what you want to happen. But we saw God go before Elijah in each of these situations, meeting his needs. God goes before us as well, working all the blessing out, all the promises out. But to experience those things, we must walk in faithful obedience, friends. The greatest example of this is Jesus. The greatest example of everything is Jesus. He responded with unconditional obedience in every situation. Right? Philippians 2 said he was so obedient even to the point of death, yes, even death on a cross. And that unconditional obedience led to a rich blessing. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess to the glory of God. Unconditional obedience will lead to God's provision. Now, I think that for most of us, if you've been in church for a little while, Everything I've said up until this point, you're like, yeah, I don't disagree, but there's some difficulty with that, isn't there? I think probably the biggest question as I think about this is, how can I know God is the one speaking? How can I know what God is saying to me? How can I know that this isn't just my own self tricking my own self because we are really good at tricking ourselves, really good at self-deception? How do we know what God is saying? Because I'm pretty sure that for most of us, regardless of what it might be, if God were to uh, come into here in this room right now in an audible voice, booming, and called you by name and said, go to lunch at this place today, you'd say, yeah, that sounds great. I'll go do that. that that's going to be great. You're God. I'm not. I'm in church. I'd like to obey that. But again, as we opened the sermon, sometimes life feels hard to figure out what's next or what's right. Sometimes life feels unstable to figure out what's next or what's right. I want to offer four quick things for how we can know it's the Lord speaking. The first one's a pretty easy one. You're holding it in your hands. The Word of God. Like Very clear commands come from the Word of God. When we have conditional obedience for the Word of God, we see how that works for everybody who conditionally obeys the Word of God throughout the Word of God. This is God's Word to us. This Word became flesh 
Jesus is the Word of God, and He is the one who gives us commands that are blessed commands that always have blessing on the back end of them. They may hurt for a minute, but it's always for our good. That's the first and best place to look to say, what are you saying to me, God? God speaks through His Word. God speaks through His Spirit. The next best place to hear from God is by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit of the living God, according to Jesus in the Gospel of John, the Spirit of truth testifies to our spirit also, speaking to us in prayer, telling us the way that we should go. When you feel that urge, when you feel that, that still small voice, when you feel that sometimes boot in the back, how many boot in the back Christians are there where God's got to kick you? A couple hands went up real quick. They're like, yeah, that's me for sure, right? I don't hear, I don't, my hearing's not that good, right? So God's like, go! He speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. He speaks through his people, and I know sometimes church folks can be tough to get along with. Amen? If you don't want to say amen, you can just say ouch. But God's people with God's spirit indwelled in them can offer words of affirmation, purpose, encouragement, goodness, blessing. They can also offer words of correction, reproof, rebuke, saying you're going the wrong way. That's also the way that God speaks to us. And finally, is through his creation, through his word, through his spirit, through his people, through creation. God used a donkey to tell Balaam where he wanted to go, right? So God can use anything to get a message across to anyone. It's all his. It all belongs to his. But I wonder how many of us might be missing out on this miraculous provision because we're employing conditional obedience. I wonder how many of us have heard a command from the Lord and we're saying, nah, not yet, God. I'm not ready yet, my family's not ready yet, or you'll never change, so that'll be there next year, that'll be there in a couple weeks. If we want to live a life like Elijah, which is a life of faith, then we have to trust God and take him at his word, unconditional obedience. The second thing we see from Elijah's life is complete dependence. Let's pick up in verse 17 and finish off chapter 17. Verse 17 says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord. O oh Lord, my God, why have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Our story of unconditional obedience moves into complete dependence, but it also moves from epic provision to horrific tragedy, right? This faithful widow who God seemingly used unbeknownst to her, she was already on her last leg, about to prepare her final meal for she and her son. God's prophet shows up and says, we're going to do it this way, right? The jar is going to be full. The oil is never going to run out. We're going to eat. And it says they, the, all their household ate for a while. And you can almost hear the widow saying, 
was this some kind of joke, God? Why did you deliver me from certain death only to kill my son later? You can hear the, the agony, the heartbreak in her. Wondering, is this really God's character? It's the same complaint that the Hebrews made in the Exodus, right? When they said to Moses, did you bring us out here just so we could die? At least while we were slaves, we ate meat. It's the same thing. And Elijah doesn't respond to the widow's complaint. Again, I think Elijah could use a little help with bedside manner, but he's got the word of the Lord in his mouth. Hallelujah. He says, give me your son. Takes her son up to where he's staying and prays two prayers. The first is a prayer of lament, where Elijah also seemingly is struggling with what God has allowed to happen. And I think it's okay for us to do that, friends. Sometimes I think we, we feel like even if we say, God, this really hurts, that we trick ourselves to think we're questioning him. He can handle your questions. He can handle your lament. He can handle your complaint. But you've got to take it to him. That's the only way we can be living in complete dependence is by bringing everything to him. And Elijah brings it to him. And then it says, Elijah stretched himself over the child three times. Now, the scriptures don't speak clearly to what this was, and we need to be hesitant to speak where the scriptures are silent about something, but I think we're safe to think a few things. One, God performs miracles. We can think that clearly. Two, resurrection life comes after the third time or the third day. Hallelujah. There's, there is a very clear look ahead to Jesus. As we see Elijah do this, we also see then his complete dependence. He asks God for something that there's no way he could have performed in himself. No resurrections had occurred in the Bible up until this point. No prayers for resurrections have been recorded in the scriptures up until this point. And Elijah just says to God, I can't do it, but Lord, cause the life to come back into this child. And he does. And I believe it's because of Elijah's unconditional obedience and complete dependence, putting the circumstance or the situation in the hands of God fully. And in this climactic moment in chapter 17, we have a dead son, a distressed mother, and a dependent man asking God to do what only he can do. If we're looking to men or women for solutions, don't be surprised when we get man-made outcomes. If we completely depend on the Lord, don't be surprised when you see God-sized outcomes. It may not happen in the moment the way we want it to, but God is always working things together for his glory and for our good. And then there's this phrase that I just love. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And I think that can be a moment of difficulty for us as well. How many of you always believe the Lord is listening to all of your prayers? <laughs> Hallelujah, you're good theologians. How many of you always feel emotionally like God is hearing and answering and doing all of your prayers, right? Like, we have the theology for sure, but there is that, you know, the longest distance on earth between here and here, right? God did exactly what Elijah asked. Why? I think it's because Elijah lived a life of faith, a life of complete, unconditional obedience. And God knew exactly what Elijah's heart was, exactly why Elijah prayed the prayer he did. 
He shows complete dependence on God, trusting him, taking him at his word in every situation. God was calling Elijah to do something outside of his ability. God was calling Elijah to do something outside of his ability. Elijah couldn't have sustained himself by a brook. He couldn't have commanded birds to feed him. He couldn't have equipped a single mother, a vulnerable widow, to have food where there was no food. Because of his inability and God's ability, he realized he had to live in complete dependence and obedience. Just as God called Elijah to carry out things that he couldn't do in his own will, God is calling you and I and us and we to carry out things that we couldn't do in our own will. Some of the richest currency you possess today is inability. Some of the richest currency you possess today is inability. How many of us feel great when we can't do something? When we realize, like, ah, I can't do this, I can't fix that, I, I don't have what it takes to do this. God purposely brings those things to us so that we can spend that currency of inability, which leads to unconditional obedience, which leads to complete dependence, which leads to God's provision. Throughout all of the scriptures, he commanded people to do things that were far beyond their scope, far beyond anything they could do. Why? So that they would rely on him. And he's calling us into the same things. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. There's another example in Jesus' life of this as well. In John chapter 11, when Jesus hears that Lazarus has died, he makes his way uh, over to the tomb where Lazarus is laid, and he prays this prayer. He says, he looked up and prayed, Father, thank you that you have heard me. And then he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Thank you that you have heard me. We can extrapolate something from the life of Elijah, from the life of Jesus. And as this sermon series unfolds, you're going to see all kinds of uh, typologies and things called Christophanies, where Christ shows up in the Old Testament of uh, uh, Moses leading into Elijah, leading into Jesus, Jesus being the greater Moses. There's this beautiful thing that I really don't have time to get into, and I probably shouldn't even have mentioned it because now I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta keep going. But Jesus' life was lived in utter dependence as well, wasn't it? I do nothing except what my father's told me to do. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Man shall not live by bread alone, right? Jesus lived a life of utter dependence. So for us, is Elijah still this far off super saint that has faith that is beyond our reach? And if we haven't gotten there in 33 minutes, it's okay, right? There's a long time to get there, Lord willing. But are we living a life of unconditional obedience? Do we know when the word of the Lord comes to us? Are we living a life of complete dependence? Are we depending on other things? Do we depend on our calculations? Do we depend on our bank account? Do we depend on our social status? Do we depend on the structures that we've erected around us? All it takes is one time in your life when really everything you thought you had gets taken out of your hands for you to realize, I can only live in complete dependence upon God. He is the giver and sustainer of my life. He is the beginning and the end. He has started the good work in me, and he will bring it to completion. He is the one who has this blessed provision on the other side of unconditional obedience. So as the worship team is going to come back up here and lead us in a final song, I want us to think about that. I think there's really only two reasons 
that we wouldn't live a life of obedience. One, because we put our own conditions on it. And I think that's pretty common. I think we've all been there. We put our own conditions on it, and we're like, well, God, you wouldn't do that because that's crazy. Or, God, you wouldn't do that because I've got work on Monday morning. Or, God, you wouldn't do it that way because you've never done it that way in my life. And we put our own conditions on it. And yes, we're, we're faithfully trying to serve God, and we're following the word of God, and, and we're doing the right things. But are you doing the unconditionally obedient thing? How many of us know there's a difference from doing the right things and doing the unconditionally obedient things? Christians are really good at doing the right things. But are we really good at doing the unconditionally obedient thing? I think that's the first camp. I think the second camp is somebody that hasn't put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus for their life yet. You wouldn't live in unconditional obedience or complete dependence because you're still living your life. You haven't died yet, and Christ lives through you. I think there's only two camps for us. So as we analyze our own lives and our quiet time and our reading and our life groups and everything that we're going to be doing over the next few days and weeks as this sermon series continues, ask yourself the question, am I living in unconditional obedience to God? If not, has the gospel not been fully applied to my heart yet? Because if it has, then we know I can only live in complete dependence. Everybody's fallen short of the glory of God. No one measures up. Everybody, it, it, man is full of sin, total depravity. So as we begin to close our time together here today, just hope that this will set us up with a framework as we continue on in the sermon series, as you continue on in life, wondering about your own obedience to God, to his word, to his spirit, to his people, to his creation, are you putting conditions on it? Or wherever God says go, you'll go. Wherever God says yes, you say yes. Wherever he says no, you say no. Have we fully embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we believe on the cross when Jesus said it's finished? Is it really finished? Is it really done? Or did he say it's finished, but you've got to pick up here and you've got to do some of these other things? Your value's fixed in the cross. Your worth is fixed in the cross. When you live an abiding life, you have nothing to gain, nothing to lose. It's all hidden in Christ. And then once we've realized those things, we can move out into complete dependence. That doesn't mean being lazy, right? It doesn't mean for lunch today you say, I want a sandwich, and you stand outside with your mouth open. I, if that happens, praise the Lord. I would love to hear about it. Like, <laughs> like let's tell that story next Sunday, <laughs> like by all means. But sometimes, you know, you got to go to the fridge. You got to go to the store. You got you to put in the work as well, right? It's partnership. But as we stand to our feet here and close in a final word of prayer and then worship, I just pray that Elijah's life wouldn't feel so far away anymore and that we would understand uh, somewhat of the formula of unconditional obedience leading into complete dependence, turning into a life of faith, that's a life of trusting God and taking him at his word. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that the word of the Lord is still coming to us as it's come to Elijah. We thank you that you have been good all the days of our life and you will not stop now. Hallelujah. 
We praise you in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would move in our minds, equipping us to think about our life the way you do, equipping us to feel through our circumstances the way you want us to, equipping us to see that you are the one who is leading us, that you are the one who is guiding us. And whatever is coming to our life has either been brought directly by God or allowed by God for his glory and for our good by his grace. So King Jesus, we love you. We worship you, we praise you, and we pray. Speak to us, O Lord, for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.